Welcome back to another episode of Crowdworkcast. My name's Andrew Barnett. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, as this uh, gets uploaded, my Sydney Comedy Festival show is just one week away. Uh, the show kicks off on the 17th of May, running through to the 21st. That is Wednesday to Sunday. It's at the Enmore Laneway, which is uh, one of the smaller rooms in the Enmore Theatre. And uh, there are tickets still available. Uh, if you're interested in coming along, uh, the Friday and Saturday night shows are close to sold out. So if you want to come to those, jump on them quick. Uh, but the uh, there are still plenty of tickets available for Wednesday, Thursday and Sunday. So uh, I'd love to have you along. And as a special enticer for uh, podcast uh, listeners, I have a two-for-one ticket deal going on. Uh, so if you're interested... When you, uh, you go through the Sydney Comedy Festival website, just look for Andrew Barnett, Wise Man, um, or there's a link on my website to that page. Um, and when you go to buy tickets, when you get to the Ticket Tech website, just enter the code word cheers, as in cheers. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, so yeah, enter the code word cheers and uh, you will get two for one tickets. Uh, anyway, on to this week's episode. Uh, this week, my guest is uh, the actually the first guy I ever saw uh, perform at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. It was the first solo show I ever went to. Uh, his name is Trevor Crook, a uh, very, very funny comedian. He's been in the game about 25 years, and he splits his time between here and the UK. And uh, yeah, in the last couple of years, when he's uh, when he's back in Sydney, uh, he and I try and catch up for lunch on a on a pretty regular basis because uh, uh, he's an interesting guy and I love picking his brain. Uh, now, uh, I have to point out one thing uh, with this the audio on this one. Despite the fact Trevor's been uh, in uh, comedy for twenty five years, um, not great with a handheld microphone in terms of just keeping it close to his face. So he will be quiet. At certain points throughout this, I've tried to uh, keep the levels as good as I can, but um, yeah, they are what they are at a certain point. Uh, so fair warning on that. Uh, also, you will hear some background noise. We recorded this at a uh, at uh, a registered club uh, in Bankstown, uh, the Bankstown Sporties, um, because uh, well, it turns out later, and I'll get to the uh, get to the story in another episode with Trev. But uh, turns out Trevor was scared to come to my house to record. Um, so yeah, there's a little teaser for the next time uh, I sit down with Trevor. But uh, this was a good episode. Uh, hopefully the uh, the sound quality doesn't annoy you. But um, I think it's all right. Uh, although he will be quiet at different points. But uh, yeah, please enjoy this. This is episode 26 with Trevor Cook. All right, new episode. G'day, mate. What's your name? I'm Trevor Crook. Trevor Crook. Uh, Trevor Crook. And what do you do, Trev? I think I'm a comedian. You think you're a comedian? Yeah, it's, a, uh, it's a very subjective. Maybe I'm not. I'm mate, I've looked you up on the internet. According to the internet, you're definitely a comedian. I am. A, a good. Good. Uh, comedian uh, come podcaster now. Yes, I, yeah, I've been a podcaster for how long now? I've done, I'm not, you're the first podcast I've done in... in Australia this time around. Oh, really? So uh, you should be honoured. Yeah, I am, mate. This oh, is uh, <laughs> this is a, an Australian exclusive. Yes, uh, I've been doing podcasts in England probably for about the last nine months. So it, uh, it doesn't surprise me because anyone that uh, knows Trevor Crook yeah. automatically associates you with technology, the cutting yeah, yeah, edge. That's right. 
the internet. That's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm pretty much a uh, a whiz kid when it comes to technology. I do turn my <laughs> hand, to, turn my hand to any yeah, really. Exactly. Um, so, how long have you been? How long have you been a comedian, mate? I've been a comedian. Uh, let me think. I think. I think it started. Prof- well, I started non-professionally in '91. '91. Yeah, and then I won the uh, I won some competition at the Harold Park Hotel called the Australian Comedian of the Year. So I won that. Wow. In that was I think I won that '92. '92. So there's a lot of good people in that competition. There was Peter Burner was in it, and Steve Hughes, and Carl Barron, and I kicked their fucking ass. Whatever happened to those blokes? Yeah, was there anyone know. that kicked on to become them. any? That's the last I heard of them, actually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you're going to drop names, mate, drop names that people might know. Yeah, yes, right. Burner, yeah. Barron. Yeah, yeah. Steve Hughes is less profile, isn't he? But still. Oh, Steve Hughes. He's... um. He's a good guy too. So you've you've been in the UK now, sort of on and off for how long? Uh, twenty twenty years exactly. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, St- and Steve's Steve's obviously spent a bit of time over there as well. Steve so. showed up. I went there first, and then uh, Steve showed up on my doorstep one morning. Oh really? He bought a one-way ticket to London. He had no money. Uh, this uh, doesn't sound like the Steve Hughes I know. Uh, no, the this careful planner. This was. Um, <laughs> Pre, I don't know, whatever he's doing now, he didn't do before. And <laughs> he, it was pre something. So then Steve was quite normal. Yeah. And he borrowed 40 quid off me, which I still haven't fucking got back, by the way. Steve, if you're listening, that's 40 pound with compound, compound interest, mate. What year's that? That was nine, when was that? That would have been 99. Oh, mate, so that's, that's a good 18 years of compound interest there. Yeah, that's right, yeah. That'd be upwards of, well, that'd be probably a couple of thousand pounds now. It would be actually have compound interest inflation. Yeah, it's, it's grown into a small fortune. I can I will not get it back. I, yeah, I've given up. I gave up hope about ten years ago. <laughs> so. Basically, um, if Steve is listening, he's uh, he's going into hiding. Yeah, as we speak, he's yeah, like, oh right. man, Trev's after me again. <laughs> <laughs> he lives terrified that you're going to turn up on his doorstep with a with baseball Bru- bat. Well, I was living with Bruno Lucia at the time in London. Oh wow, Remember Bruno, yeah. yeah. Bruno lived with me and my, my she's my wife now, but back then she was just like my girlfriend. So Bruno, moved, he was living with us for a while actually, maybe nine months, and then Steve rocked up uh, during that period. Wow. So, uh, and then Steve, I don't know I think he. Bought the one-way ticket as a maybe as a means of, of staying in England that he can't go back even if he wanted to. So he decided to make a commitment. Yeah, force know. him to force himself to really commit to the. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not a bad. Uh, it's not a bad way to force yourself into something. I suppose at certain points of your life, like yeah. I feel like at the stage I'm at now with you know a wife and two kids. Yes. That sort of. Um, yeah. That sort of forcing yourself into a corner isn't always going to be. Um, the most responsible thing to do? Well, your corner is their corner. Yeah, well, exactly. Right. <laughs> and if they didn't so, choose to get in it with you. That's, that's right. So I suppose, yeah, you got kids and wife and responsibility. I, I've never had, I've, I've always been very irresponsible. Yeah. So I've, I've just thought about myself. I'm uh, very self-obsessed. Yeah. I just care about me. So let's go back to this, then back to the start. Young Trev. Yeah. Where, where, like, where'd you grow up? Where were you born? All that I was sort born of stuff. in... England. I was born in a place called Congleton, which is up in the Midlands of England. And, oh, yeah. Uh, we emigrated on the 10-pound pom. I was going to say, you don't sound like you were born in England. You've got a no, very no. Uh, broad, broad Australian accent. I have, th- but people who know what to look for can pick up certain words that are English. You like know. what? Like 
Do you say I bath say, or something? I, say, I can't say tongue, tongue. You know, you, why do you say tongue? Tongue. I can't say it that way. I say oh, really? tongue. Tongue. Which is why we say it in the north of England. Oh, wow. So that's one word I could never change. But say it any other way. I tend not to say the word tongue because I feel a bit embarrassed <laughs> by it. So it doesn't come up in conversation that much. Yeah. Thank fuck for Luckily. that. Luckily. That's right. So let's have a debate about tongues, shall we? Yeah, yeah. It'll, uh, if you ever get like a some sort of uh, problem with your tongue, yeah, and you right. have to go to the doctor, it, it, yeah, I know it's going to be a nightmare. Do right? you hear about Trev? Yeah, oh, he had tongue cancer. He yeah, didn't treat it, it for years because yeah, he was right. so worried about going and having to tell someone. <laughs> yeah, well, he's got quite a nice tongue, uh, um, according to the women in his life. Oh, really? He uses it differently. Oh. And, um, Wait, compliment them? Yeah, a bit like a rapier. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're born. How old were you when you? I think we're about nine. Nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, what? How much? What were you doing in the north of England? That at I, nine years of age, you'd said tongue so many times the way yeah, they yeah. say it over there that you couldn't change that. Well, what happened was I was I was born in a place called Congleton, which is a yep. small town. It was small, it's quite big now. It's small, and I lived there. Mm. And, uh, my dad was a painter and decorator. And uh, during the winter months, they didn't have quick-dry paints then, so you couldn't really oh, wow. work outside that much. So during winter, we all fucking starved, really. We all lost weight. So, Holy uh, shit. So my dad saw an ad on the TV about coming to Australia. Oh, nice. Yeah, all the, yeah, the it's all bullshit. Pictures of beaches and yeah. all that great lifestyle. It was true up to a point, but you yeah. Know, um, Just not where you got to live straight away. No, that's right. You lived on a hostel. Yeah. In a, t- in a tin shed. Where, where, what hostel were you in? It was in Adelaide, and it was called Pennington Hostel, Finsbury Hostel. Oh, really? So it was just Nizzen huts. It was like, I don't really know what a Nizzen hut is. It's like a, it's like if you've got a barrel, cut it in half, a crossways, yeah. then put that on the ground. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, um, I always associate them with, like, um, they used to have them, you'd see, like, um, World War II movies, the Air Force bases. Yeah, that's right, yeah. We'd yeah, always yeah. have those. We lived in one of those for, uh, I think it was about six months. Like half a water tank. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no insulation. 110 degrees. Bloody hell. So yeah, Adelaide was, uh, in summer is yeah, yeah, brutal. Oh, fuck it was hot. It was unbearable. 110 degrees, first day in Australia. 110 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit. Welcome from the north of England. Yes, and when we left England, it was below zero, so we had this oh. wall of heat. And flies, you don't get flies anymore now so much. Back then, there was flies everywhere. You know, you just couldn't eat yeah. outside. It was just flies would descend on whatever you're eating. It was like an absolute nightmare. And so we lived on the hostel because my dad uh, got a painting job in Woomera, you know, the rocket range. Yeah, wow. He's up there painting. Then we moved but out of the hostel and then into a house. There's uh, got to be always something new to paint up there because, you know, oh yeah, that's paint right. this, we're going to hit it with a rocket. Yeah, that's right. He was <laughs> just painting right. these big containers, like they were massive, uh, almost like, an, uh, like, a, uh, like a, um, a, big, a big drum, basically. And they were gigantic, you know, and he, he, that's all he did was paint them. Day in, day out. Mate, if I know the military too, that would have been a tough job because they are particular about their decorating. That's right, yeah. I think ca- <laughs> you use camouflage paint. And go, go back the next day, couldn't find it. So, okay. <laughs> it was around here somewhere. But <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? You, you haven't painted anything yet. Yeah, I have. I've painted this whole half a, <laughs> yeah, half right. a thing. No, there's only half a shed here. Yeah. <laughs> so then we, um, we lived in Adelaide for till I was... How old was I when I left Adelaide? I lived in Adelaide with my pa- I lived with my parents who were 37. You really? 37? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I was on the dole. I was on the dole for like 20 years. Wow. Really fucking just just hated work. <laughs> and um, 
And then uh, I, I moved out. I, I, a friend of mine invited me to live in Canberra, and I went to Canberra, lived with him in a closet. Well, he had a. F- <laughs> is that a metaphor? A, or eh? Is that a metaphor? That sounds like a euphemism. No, no, for no. Something. He, he yeah, I lived a, with a man in a, a closet. closet in his government flat. <laughs> and he said, you can live in it for $5 a week rent. Mm. So I paid him $5 a week rent, lived in the closet, put a mattress in there. And uh, <laughs> he, he didn't even move his clothes out. They were still in there. So I had like shirts and coats hanging in my face. It was a fucking nightmare. The, uh, but yeah, I, did, I thought, well, yeah, at least it's somewhere to sleep. Yeah, five bucks a week. What are you yeah, going to do? five bucks a week. And then, uh, then I met a woman. I moved into my own government flat. Uh, nice. Met a woman, Chinese woman, uh, married her. That was a total disaster. Nevertheless, she did get me to Sydney. Ah, nice. And then I, uh, I, I saw a comedy store advertising for open spots. Oh, really? I had a few ideas, so I jotted some ideas down, like comedy routine, and uh, just four minutes long. And then I went up to the comedy store and did my little open spot. It went very well. And then other comics said, no, you're really funny. So I thought, oh, I can do it. So, and all the rest is uh, geography. So you, you quit your dull job? And, uh, I was on the dole off and on. From, even then, I was on, on the dole on and off. And then I got a job at the council. Uh, Makes me wonder how many, um, how many like the the Australian taxpayer has funded the early years of a lot of comedians. I feel yes, like. I think so. Yeah, and yeah. I and I feel like they've been repaid in kind, like repaid. I like you know obviously with a lot of like um, Dave Hughes, for example, was on the famously on the dole for a bit. Yes, yes. Um, early on. And uh, I, I feel like he's probably paid his fair share back at this point. In tax, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't. No. I haven't, well, no, I haven't really. You've paid it back in laughs, though, Trev. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. I mean, 20 years of dole payments, a lot of money I, I owe the government. <laughs> That's a lot of five-minute spots, it is, isn't it? It is a lot of five-minute spots. It's, uh, but, you know, I, I tried to work that out. I was on... Well, the, the prices... Not prices, but the the rates of the doling went from, I think it was $17 to... 45 or something, you know what I mean? So oh, wow. At the Zenith, I was probably earning about $100 a week. Bloody hell. But it went, it went a long way back then, though. $100 was, you know... Well, if your accommodation costs are five... My accommodation was $23 a week. Oh, by the time you had your own government flat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's not even too bad in that, terms of a percentage bad, of your income. But you do go insane. Yes. Because of the lack of human company. You know. I, do, I kind of... I've got this theory that I, I feel like people need... Some, for your own mental health, yes, you need yeah. a purpose and something to do, and you need people to interact with. And you need a distraction because when you concentrate on reality, uh, reality's fucked. I've come to the conclusion, <laughs> and it'll destroy your mind. So you've got to have a constant distraction, whether it's talking to someone. This is a distraction now. What we're doing now is a yeah, distraction. Yeah, exactly. A good distraction. I'm not saying it's mm. in a derogatory way. It's necessary. No, but this is this is we're not really um, in any sense. We're not like in the if you go back to a just the animal sense where blokes yeah. like you and I would at this point have to be thinking about, okay, where are we getting tonight's food for the That's right. For the tribe. We're not really progressing that at all. We're sitting in a uh, That's right. little coffee shop. We uh well, I said to a mate of mine who's very philosophical, I said, Yeah, but you can you can afford to be philosophical because everyone else is doing the work, you know. You're yeah. living in a society where you can sit around thinking about fuck all, whereas if this was in hunter gatherer days you'd be you'd be killed. You, they throw you off a cliff or <laughs> stick a spear in your eye. You'd uh, probably you get some real enlightenment on the way down. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Maybe the purpose is to work. Yeah, that's right. So uh, we're a luxury, basically. I mean, people, thinkers and comedians, we're a luxury that mm. uh, in normal societies, like tribal societies, we wouldn't have a function. 
No. Well, it was something that was peripheral that people, like, you know, the, it was the storytelling around the campfire at night after the work was done. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. And before you went to bed because you had to get up the next day and do all the work again. Yes, that's right. And uh, we're just lucky enough now that, uh, yeah, people are willing to pay. That's right. We can sit here in the lovely sports club. Mm. Magnificent, isn't it? It is. When you look, uh, looking around, we're in uh, we're in a sports club in Southwest Sydney, and uh, looking around, um, we've got Yumcha, Peking yep. Square. We've got uh, we're in a chocolateria, Sanchuro. Yeah. Um, and looking around, it does scream sport, doesn't it? It does. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Certainly does scream, Just, scream uh, it. Wonder sport. Everyone in here, <laughs> look at them, the athletes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> wandering around this place. I was walking through the pokey room before. Yeah, yeah a lot of athletes oh, in there. Oh, it is. It's like an Olympic changing room in there. All <laughs> <laughs> <For> the athletes. <laughs> oh man. So, um, so you would move to Sydney. What year would, would that have been? Move to uh, Sydney. Ninety-two. Ninety-two. And um, where were you living in Sydney then? Initially, I lived with a friend of mine, who's a Scientologist. Oh, good. Yeah. How I do used you, to, I used you, to, I? you strike me, and I want to hear this Scientologist story, but I, you yeah. strike me as someone over our um, many lunches we've had together and that sort of stuff. You collect interesting people in yes, your I life. Yes, I do, actually. I, I, I track really uh, bent people. Yeah. And it's, bent people are interesting. So. But, but that's what I mean. You seem to be, I think, I feel like you meet them and you're... You've got that natural curiosity that you want to find out more about these weird people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're not particularly... I think there's... Along with that, you're not a... Um, you don't seem a judgmental no, person. No, that's right. I'm not judgmental, yeah. So I've talked to a, a schizophrenic, the same way as I'm talking to you now, mm. literally, and they sense my acceptance that I'm not freaking out. He's a schizophrenic. And I just go, well, he's not well, is he? He's got like a broken leg or some shit. So. Yeah. So I attract a lot of schizophrenics, but... Not, not ideal, is it? <laughs> I don't yeah. mind. A well, it makes for an interesting life, if not. Well, it does, yeah, but you don't want three or four on the same day, do you? Which no. I've had. I've had. Oh, really? I've had four schizophrenics in my place oh. in one day in the lounge room, <laughs> and they were all fucked under various ways, and it was like it was heavy duty. I mean, it was stressing me. Out. How did you? How did you? How did this day unfold? And then I want to go back to the Scientology thing. But how oh, yeah. did that day unfold? I had a friend of mine who was a, a hardcore schizophrenic. Yep. And. Um, He's an enthusiast, <laughs> almost, <laughs> schizophrenia. And uh, he'd come over my place and tell me various yarns about, you know, uh, fucking talking to the devil or some shit he had. And, um, and then through him, I met these other schizophrenics. And so I befriended them. I used to play <laughs> cricket with them. So uh, only four of them, but we had a full team. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, and then they, they thought uh, they liked me because I just accepted them for what they were, which is, yeah, mentally ill, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Just like you accept you with your hay fever. Yeah. So, so they'd come over my place and sit around the lounge and their various psychotic episodes. And, um, you know, they'd ask me questions about... One bloke had a complete obsession that his, that his wife was not a virgin when they met. And he kept going oh, wow. on about it. He said, Treb, do you think my wife was a virgin? I said, well, I don't know. It doesn't matter. She's got to be a virgin. But they'd be married 25 years. <laughs> oh, you know, she had to be a virgin. I don't think she was. I think she lied to me. I go, well, it doesn't matter, mate. You've been with her 25 years. You've got three yeah, kids. At this we, point. Yeah, you can't reason with a schizophrenic. I've no. discovered anyway. So, uh, <laughs> You've discovered. So then, yeah, after that, uh, uh, four schizophrenics in one room, I refused to answer the door from that point on. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did my community service as yeah. far as mental health goes. But um, <laughs> anyway, back to the, uh, Sydney. I, I lived with these Scientologists. They invited me to Sydney, and the bloke said, "You can live with me if you teach me karate." 
Oh, wow. A karate teacher at the time. So I was giving him private lessons, and I lived with him. And I observed Scientology from uh, yeah, the inside, insider's point of view. Did they ever try and um, get, you, like, get you involved? Yeah, yeah, they? They, yeah, yeah, they're constantly uh, flooding me with propaganda. Like Were they that. doing you, did, you, did they give you that, you know, they, they give, do the test, do you see them outside like town hall or whatever in the city every now and then, and they get you to hold the two electrodes and... Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, yeah, the, 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 an engram test. Yeah, engram test. Yeah, the, what happens, I told you that I mentioned the story before about Scientology is based on this Planet X. Yep. We all came from Planet X, we came to Earth, but there was no people at the time. There was just trees and you know, general nature. Yeah. So they, they inhabited trees. The spirit being called Thetans inhabited trees, so it's a bit limited being a tree, just like... Yeah, what are you going to do? Fuck all to do. Just root yeah. it to the spot. <laughs> yeah. Can't go to the shops. Fucking nightmare. So <laughs> and then human beings evolved, and uh, the Satans went, fuck the trees. Um, Let's jump in the human jump beings. Jump the human beings. And then what happened was human beings, being the corrupt assholes they are, started doing you know sinful things, and that created these things called engrams, which is like a spiritual skid mark, like a sin. <laughs> Spiritual skid mark. Yeah, is this, uh, is this uh, doctrine you're teaching? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's <strict doctrine. laughs> Spiritual skid mark, the engram factor. <laughs> and then what happened then? You um, you got weighted down with engrams. Okay. So uh, uh, yeah, if you weighed yourself, you'd probably be ten t- kilograms heavier. Uh, just with from with the skid en- marks. Engram factor, yeah, from yeah, weighed down by sin. So that's when you do Scientology, you do all these various courses to get rid of the engrams and be a pure spirit bang and then you go when you die you go back to planet x oh wow ever after and um so is that what tom cruise is yeah that's right that's what they believe yeah yeah oh wow and planet x is like a full-on country it's got like it's national anthem and a flag and all kinds of <laughs> shit like that. what why did they leave then oh like yeah if the, if the aim is to get back yeah, you know, the Thetans. why'd the Thetans leave in the first place could have been overpopulation mate, i know I look if you're because i've heard the term operating Thetans. But if they're so wise, you know, these Thetans oh, yeah, 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 and so, yeah. you know, all-knowing, why'd they pick trees in yeah, the first yeah. place? You know what I mean? There's, surely there was something more yeah, interesting Yeah, that's right. You think they could have inhabited uh, dinosaurs. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That would have been, you know, T-Rex that's right. would be interesting at least. Need, of course, need havoc. Need to go back to the drawing board, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. go, uh, trees, big cross over trees and dinosaurs would have been the, the way to go. That would have been, yeah. Well, it would have made for a. It made it make um, Jurassic Park an interesting right, yeah. take on that movie. That's right. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> here comes yeah. an engram-infested T-Rex. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Well, it's, it's especially then if you if you look at the um, if you look at the you know the Thetans are in the yeah, yeah. the Thetans are in the dinosaurs and mm. uh, you know maybe the, the, it's a moral tale of them trying to rid rid the earth of the uh, the engrams yeah, yeah. and the humans. So that's right. See, but it costs money, though, because you have to get rid of the engram. You have to do courses which cost money. <sighs> and then you need a passport <laughs> to get back to Planet X when you've died. You, have to take a, get, you can't get in without a passport. So you have well, to, you know, you've got to, buy, you to control passport. your borders, don't you? Oh? You've got to control your borders. That's right, you've got to yeah. control your borders. So you buy the passport, $3,000 it costs, by the way. That's, um, that's a bit of a mark. Look. I mean, our passports aren't cheap, but that's still a that's a fair markup on an Australian. It is, isn't it? Yeah, and then, but you, and then you've obviously I don't know how you take it to the spirit world or Planet X physically. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> Fuck I've got no idea. They don't, so, they don't really explain that because. Uh, here it is. Can well, you can you travel lo- domestically on it? 
on that passport? Like by domestically, I mean around this planet? Or it's only a spiritual passport, even though oh. it's physical. It only works for Planet <laughs> X. <laughs> it's limited. It's not dual citizenship type passport. It's What's their take on um, on further, like, um, like other planets then? Like, surely it can't just be X and here. Oh, no, no, but I think they... It's, it's, um, Scientology is a mixture of science fiction, uh, Catholicism, and Buddhism. That's all that it is. Really? See, Ron Hubbard, he was a science fiction writer. Yeah. So he wrote this... Uh, well, the theory of uh, Scientology, he wrote it um, with uh, science fiction. Really, Planet X yeah. is science fiction. And then you get the engrams, which is Catholicism. Uh, yeah, like sins. The, yeah, the original sins. And then you've got uh, Buddhism. That's how you cope with all this. You know, that's how you get out of the cycle, the engram cycle, by using Buddhism. So that, actually, I've never really thought of it that way. That's uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's interesting. That um, yeah, that's interesting. Take it. So you you ended up living with them. You were never taken. No, no. I, I used to argue with them, and eventually I got kicked out. <laughs> 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 too many engrams, mate. Yeah, too many engrams. Yeah, they thought it was. Um, they thought it was being a little bit disrespectful, but I'm yeah, no. just questioning that. Yeah, obvious bullshit, isn't it? That's why you do seem. You strike me as someone you almost. And I think this is why you can get yourself in situations like that. Is you're almost almost outside of any given situation. You're, you strike mm. me as a guy who's outside of the situation, <coughs> observing it, even when you're in it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I. I found it interesting because I, I, you know, I didn't get involved in it, and then at the same time I was um, quite curious, and then mm. I, I sort of looked at it, all their literature and talked to them, and, and uh, in the end I could see some of their points. You know what I mean? They, they got some points. I go, oh, okay, that's reasonable. See, uh, uh, like my view with any sort of religion or any belief like that is, um, to me, like. You know, you mightn't necessarily be on board with the whole thing, but ge- mm. in general, there are a few decent lessons you can take from any of them in terms of if people want to, mm. like, if their whole thing is like reality, like Scientologists you see around, generally good people who, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they, you know, sort of law-abiding, decent citizens. Yes, yeah, right. And if that's what if that's what they want to, if that's what's making yeah. them want to be good citizens, then I'm all for it. Yes, right. As long as, you know, as yeah, long as yeah. I don't have to necessarily buy into their yeah, whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it becomes a cult, I suppose, where, you know, they don't question things and they end up doing like a Jimmy Jones thing when you, you know, end up topping yourself yeah. on mass or en masse. Or yeah. And, they, uh, and they, the, I remember a few years ago there was these people who believed that there was an alien spacecraft, the mothership, circling Earth. Oh, yeah, well, who were they? I'm not quite sure of the name. They're based in Switzerland, and they decided to uh, kill themselves, and then go, they were going to go up to the mothership, and they castra- the men castrated themselves before killing themselves. No, I would and have done that the other way around. Yeah, that's right, yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, when I'm dead, can you? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the sad thing was, they packed for it. That when they took their toothbrushes and oh. soap and all that. They actually packed for the trip to the mothership without realising that y- your spirit doesn't really have teeth, does it? No. At a certain point, you get a, yeah. Yeah, but you reach a point of irrationality where it becomes... Mm. Um, I think where you think you have to kill yourself to get to a spaceship, a physical spaceship... That's, that's right. Outside. At that point, you're not... Your decision-making skills aren't probable... Or your... Uh, mm. Yeah, your evaluation skills aren't the Again, best. you're still concerned about tooth decay, which I yeah. thought uh, seems a minor. 
it, well, in fairness, time. mate, like eternity is a long time mm-hmm. in terms of tooth decay. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, teeth don't grow back, mate. You you got to maintain those things for a long time. But again, it was a bit like Planet X. See, from the spaceship, they were going to go off to uh, Planet fucking Y or something. So the <laughs> com- com- competition. Planet X too. Like, I feel like could have come up with a better name. Yeah, maybe. I, I think I think names are important. Um, what, I think Shakespeare said it really well. Um, what did he say? Fuck, I forgot. He said, fuck, it's hard thinking up names yeah, for all these right. characters. Every, uh, yeah, it's not. It's just a, an aside quote from yeah, a conversation right. yeah, he had with what William said. Um, but, um, a rose by any other name? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah but <laughs> anyway, we're a long way from stand-up comedy, but that's how I got involved in it. Then I started doing comedy in Sydney and did heaps of television initially. Uh, midday You're show when it was. Midday show was it? Was that Ray Martin mm, yeah, midday show? Yeah, I did that a lot. Um, that was quite good. They liked me on midday show. They, everyone liked me, so they. I was going to say because you're fairly like your comedies. Um, you you're you've got this style that's kind of it's without being um, without being simplistic. Mm. It's accessible. Like yeah. so, you talk. You can talk about some quite. Uh, lofty ideas I feel yeah that's right but you do it in a very accessible very every man sort of a way yeah that's right yeah you have to I mean I mean I mean I see some comics who um, get very philosophical but it's sort of in a uh, high faluting way it doesn't, uh, people can't relate to it and if they won't relate to it they won't laugh so you've got to bring it down to um, yeah. every man's level you can't condescend to the audience yeah that's right you get oh, you go oh I'm so clever and the audience is so dumb no it's, it's up to you to bring what you're, uh, you know, what you're talking about, down to a level where people can relate to. It's not they're, they're not stupid, but you can't make comedy too convoluted. Yeah, exactly. It has to be about basic things. You know, even yeah. If, with a even if the premise is sophisticated, the the uh, the basic idea. I do a, a joke about uh, doing a com- uh, comedy in a Buddhist Buddhist comedy club. <laughs> but I and I, I do these like Buddhist. Uh, uh, terms of phrase and all that kind of stuff, but it basically boils down to me doing a gig and not getting paid for it. <laughs> so yeah, so you have to bring it down to that level. Otherwise, the only people who will laugh are Buddhists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is like a limited market. Exactly. So yeah, you want to be able to. Sometimes I feel like too. I some of my favourite stuff that you see do is when people have got like that. That bit has stuff for people who know a lot about Buddhism, and they're, yeah, get, right. they're getting that. They're getting yeah. more out of it, or getting it, um, what they're laughing on a different level. That's right. To the to the audience that don't, but the audience that don't aren't excluded from right. enjoying the bit. I don't think Buddhists are a great market. They've never got any money. <laughs> oh, fucking broke. <laughs> that's what you're saving for, you know, the next life. There's yeah, that's right. That's right. So, but anyway, but I think you need to um, when it comes to comedy, you need to be yourself. Things that interest me are things like Buddhism, Scientology. So that's what I do jokes about, you know. Yeah. To me, it's sort of interesting. Uh, it is. It is. Um, like I, I find. I don't know about you, but I find the more I am, um, the longer I've been going, I look back at you know mail notebooks, and I, I write around maybe four or five different themes. Yeah, yeah. And they're different. Like all the bits are very different. But if I break it down, to what's that really about? What's at the nugget at the core of that? Yeah, that's right. There's yeah. there's only a few different themes that yeah you know I write about. Yeah, and yeah. So like, I suppose that's you know in a in a way you're. Your uh, a lot of your stuff is 
philosophically based. Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, you, you look at those as different philosophies yeah. or different outlooks or ways to approach life. But I talk about it a bit like a yobbo. I, I get... I talk about Buddhism, which is... As long as you don't have to mention the word tongue. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I bring it down to a level where you go, I'm a fucking yeah, Buddha, you know. Apparently, uh, he had a first name, Buddha. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. He was fucking Gary or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. He, did you know he was Indian? Oh? He's Indian. Yeah. Uh, was he Tibetan or...? No, I think he... I, I, was, I only oh, learnt this the other day from a mate of mine. He was, uh, he was an Indian... Oh, it's a, he was from, uh, yeah, one of the... Oh, okay, right, provinces. Right. But yeah, he was a he was an Indian Hindu who found enlightenment. Oh, he was a Hindu initially. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, so Buddhism. He wasn't a Buddhist himself, was he? he no. Was Buddha. So. Buddha, and the Buddha, Buddha just means enlightened one, one who's found enlightenment. Oh, okay, right. So he right. became a Buddha. Uh, yes. Is the oh, way yes, he okay. looked at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, yep, yep. Uh, obviously, no one's been as enlightened since, and so he's uh, he's considered the Buddha. Yeah, right, you're right. For them, right, other yeah. than um, what was the rugby league player? There's he was a rugby the headliner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all the rest are open spots. <laughs> anyway, what happened then? I'm doing all this TV, but I still find it hard to make a living in Australia because you know there's just not many people, not many clubs, and so I decided to go to England. I sent a tape off to England, a comedy tape. Oh yeah. I didn't hear much about them, and then uh, after about a month, um, I got a phone call from an agent and said, "Oh, I took you." Uh, took the tape to these TV producers. They really liked it. They wanted you to come over and do a TV show. Oh, nice. Or live at Jonglius. So they flew me over, you know, and then uh, it got 700 quid a show and, uh, you know, sort of people really liked what I was doing and then I decided to stay. I was always coming back to Australia every year, come mm. back. But then I made a, a, I suppose I made a career in England in, and um, and that's where the podcasts come from and everything else. Well, that's really. where you're, you're now wife. Yes, that's right. You met her. Yeah, yeah. Now, was she working at Jongler's? Yeah, I got her in a comedy. She was working at a, a publishing company, and um, and then uh, my, the agent, the TV producer who produced the TV show I did, said uh, his secretary was resigning. And I said to Julia, you, you, know, you should go for it. You know, you, um, And then she went for it, got the job as a comedy uh, secretary, and then left. Uh, then she got offered other work, and now she's a full-time comedy booking agent. Oh wow! For uh, for Jonglier's Comedy Club, and she does. I say you think you're funny as well, which is a oh at uh, Edinburgh. Yeah, that's like a talent show, I suppose you call it. So. Yeah, that's what the the winner of Raw Comedy. That's right. Yeah, every year gets yeah, to yeah, go yeah. over and do that. I think I think uh, Nick's son won up. Uh, yes, he won Raw, then he won, went over there and won it again. Yeah, he um and now he's uh he's homeless. So. <laughs> Actually, I, I gigged with Nick recently, and he's um, mm. he's de- he was telling me he's decided to move to the Northern Rivers region of um, of New South Wales. He, mm. he goes, he, he's, he's an interest. He's another philosophical yeah, sort of a right, guy. Yeah. He was telling me he goes, I realised you know I was living in Sydney with the thought of one day I'm going to move up there, and he goes, well, why am I? He goes, I'm not happy when I'm in Sydney. I'm happy when I'm there. So he goes, why would I delay my happiness? Why don't I just move there now? Yeah. I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, I think Nick has probably got a lot of people. Happens to a lot of people. They get confused in it. They don't. They they get tra- not trapped into it, but they get influenced by it. But they uh, don't know which way to turn. Then they up with this. They end up in some kind of philosophical conundrum, mm. and it doesn't really help them. It doesn't make them any happier. It makes them more confused because they still haven't found you know the way out of the con- out of the conundrum. So. Uh, so if you get into philosophy, you need to be 
you need to be fairly objective about it all and don't get too immersed. And I, I got involved in a philosophy group years ago and uh, it made me a bit mad because uh, I believed everything they said, you know, word for word. And then mm. I started to question a bit. And you, you need to look at it far more objectively, to, you know, if you're studying philosophy. Otherwise, you get sucked into an ideology. Yeah. And that's the end of your freedom of thought, really. And, you know. That's, um, it's interesting because I, I had a mate who was doing his... Um He's doing his PhD in philosophy, and um, and he he almost said the same thing to me. He goes, because uh, I was saying, oh, I've always been interested. And he goes, oh look, he goes, you're better off not starting. <laughs> he goes, it really. He said, it enough, it doesn't lead to. He said, so many people come in thinking they're going to find like trying to find yeah, answers. That's right. Um, and he goes, and you just realistically you find more questions, and that's yeah. that's all. And yeah. if you're not going to be satisfied with yeah. just more questions forever, then you're only going to make yourself miserable. So yeah, uh, right. you better yeah. not start. Yeah. Now, I we gave Gurdjieff wrote a book called In Search of the Miraculous. It was actually by Aspensky, which was his number one student. So we read it, me and my mates read it, and we, gave it, we made the unfortunate decision to give it to a bloke who was very mentally unstable, <laughs> thinking it may help. So we gave him the book, and we bumped into him in Adelaide, this was, about three months, and he was completely insane. Oh, jeez. He had glazed eyes. He was <laughs> fucked, poor bloke. And we thought it was really funny. We, we, uh, we thought it was hilarious, but the poor bloke, he just completely fucked his head up. Because as I said, what he'd done, he'd read the philosophy and taken everything literally in it and didn't look at it objectively and, and, and be a bit more um, rational about it. And then he... I'd see, I think sometimes that sort of stuff, you should approach those sort of books as more a starting point for you to think about. Yeah things to to try and work something out for yourself rather right. than go this is the solution and yeah. try and fit everything into that framework well happiness isn't that complicated no it's, it's not really that complicated i mean m- most philosophy is just an exercise in academia it's like uh, nice to uh, discuss it and good for your brain it's like mental yeah. mental gymnastics it's all good as far as happiness goes it's pretty basic you need food you need a roof over your head you need a shag maybe twice a week uh, and you need a distraction, and that's happiness. That's all you need. You don't need. Like, it's not uh, computer science. It's no. pretty basic. And it's, I, I think it's that thing too, where um, if you if you're always searching for the next thing and trying to push, and yeah, oh, it's going to be like if you're kicking it down the line, yeah. like like with what I was saying about that conversation I had with Nick, where he goes, I realised, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I can't wait to one day be able to live up here, and then just went, why don't I live up here? This is where I'm happy. Yeah. If you're always kicking your happiness down the line, like that's right, then you, you know, it becomes it's a, the other man's grass, isn't it? Yeah, and it becomes an unattainable um, sort of a yeah, thing. Yeah. You just sort of, if at any given day, if you can just take something, just take a little bit of enjoyment out of each day, and yeah, just, yeah, yeah. you know, try and be happy that's on the right, journey, yeah, yeah. I suppose, without getting too. Well, there uh, are dilemmas sappy. in life. I'm I'm in the middle of a dilemma now because my wife Julia, so we both love Australia, mm. but you know I. I got my podcast in England and I, I, you know I'm, I'm getting some work here now I mean I, my workload here is picking up a bit since I'm back and people know I'm around and yeah a lot of newer a lot of newer agents don't know who I am because I've been out of the country for that long so works struggling to get I couldn't live here uh, full-time but I yeah. need uh, Julie to be working as well so, but in England yeah, she's got a full-time job and, and we've got a nice house in London and all that kind of stuff uh, but it's just on the wrong side of the world yeah that's right 12,000 miles away. Fucking hell. Fucking nightmare. What do we do? <laughs> yeah. If she chucked a job in, then she couldn't get a job here on a, in a similar 
vein. She couldn't do it. Yeah. And then I'd, I need to be in England for my podcast. I quite like England. It's not a bad place. I'm quite happy there. But, yeah, we both prefer Australia. But, uh, you know, well, you know, the fucking dilemma. It, it, do we jump in the deep end and go, well, we'll just come to Australia and, and uh, take what comes? And Yeah, that's it's hard, those... Yeah, at those decisions. Because it is, realistically... And you know at any given point, because it's not simple. You're just going to move and then happily ever after. That's right. So There's going to be different points where you, you'll think about the uh, the other road. Yeah. So it's just me work. and her, so it's not kids. Yeah. It's not that complicated, really. Uh, it, so, isn't, yeah. it isn't. It isn't. It isn't in that, like, yeah, if you're... I just find with any of these things, like, when there is that real... Once you make the decision... You just have to be one of those people that goes, I've made this decision, it's done, rather yeah. than someone who looks back all the time. Because if you, say if you decide, okay, we'll stay in England, and then yeah. when things are, when the weather's shitty and you're just having a, a rough time, you go, fuck it, everything, you start to imagine that if you'd taken the other road, yes. that life would be, you know, much more perfect, idyllic, because yeah, it, it yeah. can be idyllic because it only exists in your brain. Yeah, that's right. The yeah. reality of it doesn't doesn't exist, so... I think I feel freer here. I mean, England is, uh, you're surrounded by trouble there. You're surrounded by trouble in England. Oh, yeah. In, in what way? In, internal strife. You know, the fucking country's economy's fucked. And then if you go, you know, you've got terrorism. You've got all the wars. You know, um, mm. wherever you go, the Middle East, um, fucking Africa. You know, areas that if you want to leave, you have to fly over. Yeah. Which is not, you know what I mean? So you've got all this conflict over there and... Um, Agitation and um, imperial powers, you know, yeah, buying for there's control. still a lot of history. Like as much as Britain, Britain now is very, very different to Britain a hundred years ago or even oh, yeah. fifty years ago yeah, yeah. in terms of it just its place in the world. But mm. there is still that. The thing is, is like that. Okay, while well, that role's changed, the 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 hangover. Well, the the yeah. consequences of the the previous history, like that. That uh, cultural legacy. Well, people don't realise. English don't realise their empire is finished, <laughs> and their uh, and the em- what they've got now is getting smaller and smaller. The British Empire is going to eventually end up just Trafalgar Square, <laughs> and with the Union Jack on top of Nelson's column. That's going to be fucking the British Empire because it's getting smaller and smaller. Because <laughs> I think democracy has got a lot to answer for. Because we com- you vote in complete fucking idiots constantly. You know what I mean? And that's why things deteriorate. Yeah, I yeah. think the. I, to personally, without getting too crazy down the political thing, my my concern at the moment is to do with um, democracy. Well, I think we've taken democracy for granted as like it's a mm. permanent thing, and we haven't realised that it's actually it, it requires work, work, yeah. and it requires and it is quite vigilance. And any, vigilance, yeah. yeah. And and the we because I think you know in in a lot of the West, and I think this is one of the influences. Um, like here in Australia, we tend to just follow. We follow the states, um, even if not. Um, we just tend to mm. follow them culturally in a lot of ways, attitudinally. Yeah. Um, we tend to just through the the influence of the media or whatever, their media, like you know, and I mean by that, pop culture, yeah. all that sort of stuff, the the soft power stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we, I think we we became concerned with the individuals and the individual rights. But didn't think of. Mm. We haven't been talking about the role of an individual within a society because within, I think, like, you know, that society is basically a. It's a contract mm. that you're either in or you're out, and if you're in, then there are responsibilities that mm. citizens have, and one of them you've got to 
maintain a level of um, if you're going to be a voter you, you do have a responsibility to be somewhat informed that's right and, yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. And, you know, we haven't paid attention to the maintenance of those, uh, mm. the institutions that are Well, you've got the needs. ruling elites, which, uh, you know, the, you can call it the shadow government, the deep state. Well, you know, the oligarchs and, you know, the military industrial complex and, uh, you know, the media, they're all tied in with this so-called deep state. But once the people wake up, they're fucked, you know what I mean? There's only a limited number of them and there's a lot of us. So people are awake. They can't, uh, yeah. They can't control the election. They can't control us. You know what I mean? It's up to people to awake their, their consciousness. It's not. We can't do anything about them. They're just beyond evil. You know, nothing you can do about them. But you can do something by waking up yourself. And then, if you still got the vote, you can do something. You can. I am. You know. <laughs> I'm starting to feel like you know. This is. Um, you know, they talk about the the beer hall putsch. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is going to be called the uh, the Chocolatiria. That's right. I'm going to fire <laughs> the podcast. I'm going to fire a revolver into the ceiling. Any <laughs> but no, you're right, I d- and I do think like I think we've I think because um, I think Winston Churchill it's a Winston Churchill line that democracy's um, democracy's the worst uh, form of government except for all the others. Yes. And that uh, yeah. I mean, any of them, uh, you know, going to need work. Sometimes, well, I, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think a dictatorship is more honest. Because you know where you stand, you know, like with Hitler, you know exactly where you stood. He was yeah. honest about it. This is what I'm going to do. If you don't like it, I'll probably fucking kill you. Yeah. Then you go, okay, you know the rules. Yeah. And then you go, okay, we'll try and function within those limitations. Pretty limited, but... Unfortunately for some people, um, you know, if you, say if you were Jewish, there was no real way to function within these limitations. Yeah, no, well, that's right. They, they were very, very limited, you know, to... to um, yeah, but then again, you uh, then you, if, if it's that bad, you leave the country. But then what happened was if you leave the country to another country and then uh, that ideology spreads, you can't really escape it. Mm. You know, if it's a spreading ideology, you might go to another country thinking you're safe, then it spreads there. And yeah. yeah, you keep on going and going. And yeah, I, don't, I think Europe, mid-1900s, not a good place uh, mm. to be Jewish or, uh, you know, gypsy or... Well, yeah, or communist as well. Yeah, like, oh, know, exactly. Yeah, good, you have to be a Nazi, you have to be a good Nazi. Mm. Uh, otherwise, you're having going to have severe problems. You know, yeah, well, even with your health, even too, like in <laughs> in in Russia and what <laughs> became USSR. Yeah, that's like right. if you weren't communist enough at times, or yeah, yeah. you weren't in the right click, you know, that could be dangerous. Was a well, if you had people who didn't like you, uh, even if you were a good Nazi, you had people who didn't like you. They could put you into the authorities. Yeah, yeah, yeah fucking basically, uh, yeah. What's the word I'm thinking? Like set you up, yeah. Yeah. So Frame no, you. no real safety, but by the same token, I think within a, a framework of a dictatorship, you'd want someone better than Hitler. Let's say if you had a, a dictate on the level of maybe Gaddafi, who wasn't great, <laughs> but he was no Hitler, you know what I mean? So if you had Gaddafi, you'd know uh, generally you had quite a good life in Libya. I right? think it's hard to um, I think it's hard to um, to advocate for dictatorships when we're using Gaddafi as the benchmark of the good yeah, life. Yeah, but he probably was the, the best of a, a dictator. He didn't, he didn't invade anyone and all that kind of stuff, and the people had a good living style, and then you go, well, out of the dictators, he was definitely... I think out of the... Uh, if you had him compared to the Saudis or Saddam and Midi Amin, and he was definitely... Yeah, yeah. There's, he he there's was the nicest one. <laughs> <laughs> the best, the best of a bad bunch. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. There, there, there is something to be said for that benevolent dictatorship, like yes, as, a, right. as a, yeah, yeah, um, as a system of government. It just doesn't seem to ever practice. It's like well, communism, pa- like the idea. Yeah, yeah. 
seems to work. But humans, as Power you corrupt, sure, yeah. back to um, back to going back to where the Ingrams get get yeah, into people, right. <laughs> and yeah, that's uh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, yeah, a little bit yeah. of power. You might do be, we might be exactly the same. Let's say you became the supreme leader. You're right. You're a decent, oh. law-abiding bloke now. But if you had all that power, you might go fuck. I'm going to enjoy myself here. Well, it's uh, easy to abide the law when the law applies to you, and there's consequences if you don't. Mm. Once, once the law doesn't apply to you anymore, well, then, mm. well, what's the? Uh, you know, it, it's very easy to start justifying. Well, if you have a breakdown of international law, well, the, the, I think the, whole, the entire legal process is, is, has to be questioned, including domestic legality. Because you, you say, let's say you, if you go into a country uninvited like Iraq, totally illegal, and, and you go, well, who cares? Well, fuck, well, who cares about? If you're going to say who cares about international law, well, who cares about any law? Why not just have total anarchy? You've got to have a consistent, mm. you know, value system. Well, that, and that's where I think too. The, yeah, the rule of law is—it's essentially what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you're talking about international rule of law. The rule of law does—it is important if you're going to have that. Just the the value of have like if you're going to have the law, then you have to have. Yeah. Um, you have to follow it. And exactly. And if yeah. it doesn't work, if the rule—if you find the law is not just or it's not working, well, then you change the law instead of just ignoring it. That's right. You change the law legally. Yes. Like, you know what I mean. So. so uh, it's like the Israeli-Palestinian issue. They were going on about, oh, we were here first. No, we were. On and on you fucking go. And there's ever-decreasing circles, so you disappear up your own ass. You go, well, what's legal and what isn't? That's all I go on. I don't give a fuck what happened 2,000 years ago. You go, well, uh, Hamas firing rockets into Israel is illegal, so I'm against that. Yep. Uh, illegal settlements are illegal, so I'm yeah. against that. So what Israel should do is retreat back to the 67 border. It's the only game in town. It's not like... Oh yeah, but we need a buffer. Well, I don't give a fuck about your buffers. What's legal and what isn't? That's all I go on. I go. Yeah, well, and you don't if if you can get both sides of that to stick to, like you said, what's legal and what's not. Yeah. So then yeah. the buffer becomes irrelevant. Yeah, that's because if right. you go, well, you know what, you don't need a buffer because um, because you know we're enforcing the law of don't shoot rockets. That's right. Then you can both live safely and. That's right. It's just a matter of going by the law. You know, yeah. uh, you can argue subjective. Uh, things you know till the cows come home. We were here first. No, no, we're the we're the chosen people. No, we are fucking on and on you go. And you just got to go. What's legal? What isn't? Fucking yeah. It's interesting. I've never heard. <laughs> I've never heard uh, the uh, Israel Palestine um, thing just broken down <laughs> so matter of factly, <laughs> Trev. <laughs> matter of fact, we're all what? basic, isn't it? <laughs> what are you doing comedy for? You should be at the UN. I should be, shouldn't I? Fuck yeah, I'll be the. Uh, the Kofi and Nan of uh, I'll, I'll be cracking jokes. It'd be a great platform for jokes as well. Oh yeah, well especially too because it's you know those you know like if you're if you're in a context where you don't um, like you know if you do a speech at a wedding or you're hosting yeah, a, the right. MC in a wedding, <laughs> people don't expect it to be all jokes. So yeah. you throw a few jokes in, they don't have to be as strong because right. yeah, people yeah, aren't yeah. expecting them. They get the great reaction. You do that at the UN. Yeah, that's right. You talk about you know you're given a human rights speech and managed to drop a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few great one-liners in. Yeah, Trevor talked a lot of sense, but it was, fuck, he was funny, though, wasn't he, on top of it? So we <laughs> really take him seriously. It'd be well, that's funny for his own good. <laughs> people people would be tuning in, at least. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I keep them interested. Uh, maybe I can aspire to... If this podcast goes really well, my one in England, maybe I can aspire to some kind of political move. 
<laughs> some kind of political yeah. move. Well, as a man as eloquent as as you with the political move. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Jeez, he's, he's got a way with words, that Trev, doesn't he? I do he? have a way with words. I listen to myself on the podcast and I go, um, fuck, I do have a way with words. No, no. No two ways about it. You, you actually do. You have a beautiful turn of phrase sometimes yeah, that I find. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a simple turn of phrase that um, that is very insightful into the way you think about an issue yeah. often. And it's not a way that... Um, and the reason I find it so insane is often just a, a way that I haven't thought of an issue before. And it's just... It's yeah. funny because my wife thinks I'm an idiot. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a common experience though. No, but I mean, Julie's always... I'm, I'm always embarrassing my wife. Yep. Because yeah, like I've had some of her friends walk out, you know, because uh, I brought yeah, they, a subject <laughs> came up and I expressed my opinion, and they're sort of shocked and horrified. I'm very blunt, but I'm informed. I've done my research, and they because uh, they can't really argue with me because they just you know just believe the BBC or some shit. They uh, they they don't really have a very flexible argument. Then it reaches a point where they get upset with me, and uh, I, I I never get upset with them. I'm, I just talk, you know, and then yeah. they fucking storm out. This, yeah, I, that's what I find. I find you're very matter of fact about things. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. There's no real emotion attached to any given yeah, right. argument yeah, you're yeah, having. Yeah, like yeah. it's, a, like I said, that's a back to that. You do strike me as a man who, who stands outside the world and looks in and goes, "Oh, this is this is what I think." And that's, that's right. Yeah. The way you just described, um, probably one of the most uh, emotional uh, issues. political issues in the yeah, world. That's right. It's just a matter of well, move back. That's the law, and then you do this. That's the law, and then we're good. Yeah, that's right. That's it's just that if we take all the because uh, sometimes I do think too, like we can argue. I don't think we get too caught up in history. I love history. But if you get caught up in past injustices and trying to square them up, yeah, at a right. certain point you've got to go, well, where are we now? Yeah. What's the situation? And what's the best thing for everyone moving forward? Yeah. And you've sort of got to, in some ways, um, just swallow history. Say that that's happened, we're going to have to... It's mm. best for everyone to move forward in this manner. Yes. Um, yeah, that's uh, that I find is the... the well, you expect to learn from history, isn't it? You know, yeah. If you don't learn, you repeat it. And, you know, and, uh, History's full of fuck-ups. Simple as <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> well, they don't write down all the... Well, so that's the thing. They uh, The fuck-ups make for the better histories. The yeah, better history right. lessons, you know what I mean? And is it is it all true anyway? I don't know. Fuck, I used to believe history 100%. You know, you used to say this thing, it's historical fact. And when you do a bit of research, you go, well, it's not fucking... It's not that... Well, yeah, factual, it's a, it? once again, anything that's written by people is going to have a, a certain... Bias. Bias, yeah. If towards you won, yeah, if you're the winner. That's yeah. why I like good historians that are using, um, you know, that use all different sources and look and, and can go, well, look, you know, we've got this source that says this, but mm-hmm. that, that's how they were aligned, and this source that says this, and that's how they were aligned, so the yeah, truth's yeah. already somewhere in the middle. Um, yeah, that's right, yeah. That, that's, yeah. that's, I find, really useful. But, I mean, there, there are some things that, like, you can just say, well, this happened. Like, on this date, this battle yeah. happened. As to how and why it happened. Like, that's what I, I find people that are very, um, fascinates me, people that are very, with military histories, how detailed they can be and how a battle unfolds. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, and that, that fascinates me because I know they do keep those records very well. Mm-hmm. But even just if you've ever been in just a, a fist fight, um, trying to work out how it all unfolded after that. Well, the point is the ruling classes were the educated ones, so everything's from their perspective. There could have been. A bloke who had a great perspective, he couldn't read and write, and had a stammer, fucking, and he, he could have been a genius, but he, he uh, didn't have any, he couldn't write anything down. So. Like, yeah, well, that's the thing, like, if you've just been in a battle like, where people have died and stuff, yeah. 
How much are you concentrating about? Oh, I better write that bit down. And yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Like it's it's sort of you t- yeah, you do things retrospectively after the battle, yeah, you? and you forget a lot of things. Yeah, and then yeah, and sort of things, even like things happen in different orders, and you like yeah, then you yeah, yeah, yeah. you find your memory does that sometimes, where you you remember an incident that happened, yeah. and you're like. And then you, when you actually sit down and try and timeline it out, you go, well, that couldn't have happened before that because mm. that... But your brain sort of reshuffled it to try and make sense of a whole bunch of information that's right. that was yeah. getting overloaded. Yeah, that's right. You, you sort of uh, get the facts to suit mm. your attitude, really, or your, or your way of thinking. So you, you arrange them a certain way. Yeah, your brain likes to... I think yeah, we're right. very narrative-based um, creatures. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And we like our narrative to have some cause and effect... Yeah, yeah. This yeah, happened, yeah. and this happened, and because of that, that happened. But often, um, we're joining a few dots in between yeah, to yeah, yeah, to yeah. make our brain. Because I think that's too. I think um, sometimes our brains we like patterns. Yeah. Because if we see a pattern, then this plus this equals this. Then when we see that plus that, yes. In the future, we can predict the end. So especially in a dangerous situation, we like to try and rationalise mm. everything so that our brain can go, okay, well, when we see those signals, we can take a different action to, to not put ourselves in danger in future. Yeah. Um, yeah which yeah, I think yeah. is it, it's interesting. I, I remember reading a bit um, about um, this to do with crime, like where, where people sometimes assign some, some sort of blame to victims of crime. And they said um, it's more common when you identify with the victim. So if you're, uh, say you read a, a story about a, an Australian uh, comedian living in London yes. who uh, who got bashed on his walk home um, yep. from work. After doing a podcast. Yeah, after doing a podcast. <laughs> um, and then you're more likely to look for um, things he did in his behaviour that might have contributed to him being a victim. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Out of, yeah. purely out of the fact that if you if you just accept that he was a victim of a random act of violence, yeah. well, then you being exactly like him could easily be in that situation. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Where it's e- much easier to go, well, he, I wouldn't be in that situation because I wouldn't make this decision or that decision. Yeah, that's right. So, so you, yeah, the, uh, yeah, that's right. You, you want to feel safe yourself and so then you'll arrange a story so that, okay, he got mugged, but it was a dark night. He shouldn't have yeah. been out. should have uh, caught a bus or something. The, the thing I read was apparently is that... Um, apparently a lot of uh, very common with um, especially with sexual assault victims um you know whether you know that idea oh well she she did this and you know she she was leading him on a bit and all that sort of stuff it, that is people trying to justify because for from a man's perspective we all know a woman who could be in that situation that you care about so yeah. you're trying to justify yeah. in and it's subconscious you're going well you know that wouldn't happen to my sister or my yeah, wife right. or whatever because they wouldn't make these decisions yes, to right. be in that situation whereas realistically that person is a victim and it's not their fault but um, yeah. it's, it's that very human instinct to, yeah, right. yeah, to try yeah. and yeah, yeah to yeah. try and insulate ourselves from a bad thing yeah 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 I mean the um, I mean I've, I've known a few people who have been attacked and I, and I know they're decent people so it was, was not their fault they just were in the wrong place at the wrong time mm. fucking so so I mean, wrong place at the wrong time is a big factor, and mo- yeah, you know, just yeah, exactly. Spare split second. Well, you're a you're you're a martial arts um, yeah yeah guy. Yeah. How, how have you you been in any? Interesting oh yeah, but scuffles? not for a long time. I'm not I'm not Mike Tyson. I'm, I, I I used to train really hard, and I was dedicated. So I, I if you're dedicated and you train hard, you'll be good. You know, it's just yeah. fucking logical. So uh, bit of discipline. 
Yeah, it's all discipline. You, you, Where did you find time between your uh, all that time on the dole? I was on the dole for 20 years, <laughs> mate, so I was training five hours a day some days. I'm fucking absolutely fanatical. So uh, <laughs> I used to train with people who uh, were very good, so I, they raised my standard. So uh, that, There is something to be said for that, isn't there? Like to, like, to, And you see it like in... Um, in sports a lot like yeah. you see a guy you know playing in you know reserve grade football or whatever and then when they step up over the course of a year they become a much better player because of the guys around them yeah that's right uh you know you sort of have to play to the standard of what you're in so if you're training heavy- so i used to train with heavyweights i weighed about 10 stone but all the people who trained with 14 15 Okay, so for our Australian audience and, you know, the younger ones, yeah. 10 stone, what's that in uh, metric? about 70 kilograms. Okay. So the people, I was 70 kilograms and the people I trained with were 85, 90 and 100. Oh, wow. So you're coming up against guys like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a bad, you know, I'm not saying they went flat out to kill me, but by the same token, they're a lot stronger than I was. But it also, um, that also, in terms of your... Um, the way you approach a combat sport yeah. is that there's certain things that you're, you're paying, you'd be paying attention to that guy. Okay, I know this guy, if he hits me, the consequences are, if he catches me clean, yes. the consequences are, um, you know, greater. So you've got to, yeah. the, there's certain threats with a with a heavyweight. Whereas if you're going to get someone your own weight, you could probably wear a couple more punches before. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, when I sparred with people my own weight, it was very easy. Mm. And so I thought, you know, I'm training with the heavyweights is uh, not something you really look forward to. You'd be sparring with someone who's four stone heavier. Yeah, because we used to do contact. Yeah. So I was getting hit. And then uh, I, you'd never look forward to it really, but by the same time, you thought, well, it does make me overall better. And then when I fought people in my own weight division, I, I, I was pretty good. So I am. Um, I find that even, that rings true even some way, in some ways in comedy. Like if you're in a good lineup where everyone's mm-hmm. doing well and everyone's killing. Yeah. There is, there really is that thing where it's like, okay, I've got to step up here. Yeah, that's right. That's you, right. you have to push your game. I remember doing a doing a gig, um, with uh, before speaking of Steve Hughes before Steve was on, and um, Al Del Benny was on. We did three nights in a row, and um, each night, like basically beforehand, you could see that they'd sort of be backstage and they were very cordial. It wasn't any, um, yeah, yeah, there's no yeah. malice, but you could see there was that little bit of. Just yeah, that yeah, slight competitiveness. Yeah, and so Steve right. would go out and try and destroy it. And then yeah. Al would be standing there backstage as the guy had to follow him. And he'd oh, just yeah, be right, boom. Yeah. And he'd go out and he was so sharp right from the start. And both of them just destroyed. And the audience were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. by the end of seeing those two, you know, 25-year veterans. Well, that's what you get in England. You get a lot of, uh, there's a lot of comics in England, some very good ones. And so you're always on really good bills. Yeah. And so, and when you come to Australia... Usually, you're sort of you're the, not so much the comedy store, but other small outside gigs. You're you're the main act, really. Like the, the entire night revolves around you because the uh, the other people are inexperienced or you know not not particularly good, and uh, and so you you sort of <laughs> promote uh, Australian comedy on this. Yeah, that's podcast. right. Well, yeah, just not it's not their it's not their fault that not particularly. Good, no, it's but, it's um, just how much time yeah, and experience yeah, that, you can get right. at a certain point. It just takes longer and shit like that. Mm. So. So the onus is on you. When you're in England, you, you're, uh, yeah, you work with people, uh, you know, very good standard. You got to lift your game, and uh, you know, and then and when you're in that kind of company all the time, you end up better. And and when you come here, you tend you tend to fucking look better for a, a period. Then you get come down a level. Yeah, in, you, a, in a way, you know what I mean. You do really need to. I I, I think. 
Um, and you know, as much as in the arts, people go, "Oh, there's no con- like you know, it's not competitive. It's not competitive. There is something to be said for having a slight competitive, and it's not for yeah. not for any other reason than like it's like when you know they say golf, you play against yourself. Um, mm. It's that same thing where, but you need like if you're working with good people, that's the benchmark you're marking yourself that's against. Right. So you need to try and hit that level. You got to travel. You know, you got to travel. I, I mm. know some comics in Adelaide, for instance, who. They do the one room and they never leave Adelaide, and they it becomes a bit like an in crowd. All the jokes are about in jokes, and yeah. they're doing themselves no favors. You got to really throw yourself on the deep end, and yeah, you got to travel to all around Australia, and you got to then the world if you can, and, and you know really test yourself and you know broaden your horizons. You know, otherwise, you'd be very limited as a comedian if you don't. If you don't yeah. travel and have outside influence. And that's what I feel too. Like, I try and do as many different types of gigs as I can. Just yeah, that's to, right. For that reason, you got to, you know, okay, just because it work, works in one style of room, you've got to make mm. sure it works everywhere and you want to be that. I want, like, I, I, I like the idea of um, getting to the point where you can be the, the for, for lack of a better term, the man for all occasions. Like, you know, yeah, you yeah. throw in anywhere, bam, yeah, 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 yeah. work it out. And, and I, I like that. Yes, style. Some people. Well, you work consistently, don't you? You're doing. Yeah. You're pretty yeah. busy. You know right. what I mean? So that's, uh, Actually, I, speaking of which, I do have to get going very shortly because I'm going to do a. Uh, I got a sportsman's lunch. Yeah, okay. Performing at with Kepler Vessels. You're one of the few uh, few people in comedy would appreciate. Yeah, it's, well, it's for him, is it? No, no, no. He's he's one of the other speakers. So oh, is he really? Uh, me, uh, Daryl Broman, the big man from the Footy yeah. Show, is the uh, what's MC. the format? Are you at a table and you get up and do it, or you got a stage? To or? be honest, I do not know. Jeez, so uh, right. I'll find out when I get it's there. Be a fucking nightmare. Right? I'd, I'd imagine there'll be a stage <laughs> and a microphone um, because yeah. yeah. yeah How I, many I, people? Uh, I think it's. 200, 300? Venue? What is it? Uh, it's, at a, it's at a registered club near here, the Mount Lewis um, Bowling Club, I believe. Oh, is it really? They now call it Club Mount Lewis. Um, uh, they've rebranded all the clubs. How long do you have to do? Uh, doing 30 minutes, I think. Okay. So are, you, be, are you following Kepler? Or? That I don't know either. So it'll be, be interesting. You, it'd be better if you went on before him. Yeah, I've done a few of these. and like the, uh, They generally have the comedian at the end, which, double-edged sword, because the audience, one, they've heard the, those stories, but they're... They are a little bit more pissed, um, yeah. I find, by the end of these... Uh, My mate did a gig with G- uh, Hat- Ricky Hatton, the boxer. Oh, yeah. World champion at one point. He, he did this corporate, and uh, and he got up as a professional comedian, and he did sort of okay, you know, doing original material. Yeah. Ricky Hatton gets up with moss-eating fucking old jokes, absolutely killed. Yeah. <laughs> Made my mate look like a fuckwit. I've, uh, I've seen a bit of that. I did a, I did a sportsman's lunch once with um, Jeff Fennick was on. Oh, right. And it was right before um, right before he was going over to Vegas to uh, be inducted in the Boxing Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. And um, I found out from one of his mates, his boxing referee who I was sitting with, he was a lovely guy, um, he, he said, oh, they're given... Um, for the Hall of Fame, the, the inductees get a watch, a special, you know, fancy mm. Rolex or something. And um, and uh, so my opening line was, um, Jeff's going, oh, I said that, you know, he's going to be inducted. Um, and I said, oh, they must have heard Jeff likes free watches because oh, yes. um, he got in trouble. I don't know if you were in Australia at the time. He got in trouble a few years ago on the Gold Coast. Him and his mates uh-huh. got uh, detained because they were trying to steal what apparently the allegedly trying oh, to steal a couple right. of watches from yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, a jewelry yeah. store oh, right. and so then the whole audience started laughing they went real quiet and i said oh, oh it's all cool i checked he's left oh, and then they laughed again oh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no the um okay no anyway you're working anyway i'm going to the gym this afternoon and 
You're working out. Yeah, I'm going to do a bit of bench press. That's my great love at the moment. I've always trained, but I really like lifting weights, which other people find really tedious. Yeah, I, I got to say, I'm in that tedious area. I like the um, the TRX, the, the you know, the suspension. Oh yes, things. Okay. I like using those, and yeah, I like yeah. the I don't, I don't I like sort of the body weight stuff. But yeah, I'm sort of right. a bigger frame guy anyway. I find if I try and put, I don't want to turn into a yeah, yeah, like yeah. muscly type guy anyway. Because no. well, muscly. No, but I just yeah, I'm, I'm the, I've never been looking for bulk. I'm more mm-hmm. always looking to slim down rather than yeah, yeah, get bulk. bulk. Up. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. Actually, I'll go home and a bit of lunch. And uh, what's on the menu for lunch, mate? I've got some. Uh, try this because my wife, who's a great cook, I'm fucking hoping I wouldn't eat any of the shit I cook. <laughs> I can hardly stand it. The uh, worst thing I do is I'll put a cooking program on with these great cooks, you know, uh, yeah, Jimmy yeah. and Oliver, or whatever fuck his name is, and uh, and then they're cooking something fantastic, and I'm sitting there with the shit that I prepared, and I just can't eat it. <laughs> like last night, I was watching a cooking program. My favourite one is uh, the, the older bloke. What's his name? Um, He's English. Uh, I've forgotten his name. The he's a fantastic boy. cook, yeah. Um, not sure. Oh, fuck, he li- he's got a, a restaurant in Australia, actually, as well. Uh, I've forgotten his name because my brains have turned to shit. But he was cooking this fantastic meal. I had baked beans and fried eggs on toast. <laughs> Fucking repellent. <laughs> okay, if, there's no other outside You're still influence. eating English, at least. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, I just I, I ate it because I had to because yeah, I needed well, fuel. But oh, what are you going to do? Hell, the, uh, that's not a bad um, in terms of like you know you getting your proteins and your, your yeah yeah that's not a bad yeah, meal. You know what I've been getting into is um, breakfast is just half an avocado mm. and a couple of boiled eggs mashed through oh, a little right. bit of olive oil salt and pepper yeah right and it um, I just find like yeah that's it's one of those ones where you eat it it's a very simple breakfast yes yeah but yeah, um because yeah. it's like that uh, like the avocado it keeps you full for so long yeah yeah. I find I don't get hungry this, too quick. Well, this is a good one. I'm doing it today. Mashed potato. Yep. Leftover from last night. Salmon. A leftover from last night. Mix them together like a big patty and fry it. <laughs> fry it's you very, very tasty, yeah. You're still eating very English, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Julie said try that. And she gives me little things over the phone. Um, how to make my own salad dressing. It's funny. She makes salad dressing so nice. And I followed the same recipe. Did it. Yeah, you know, word for word, how she told me to do it, it tasted like shit. So I don't know what the uh, fuck happened. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck happened. I am. Um, yeah, I see. I'm a. It's interesting. Are you the. When you cook, are you the follow the instructions to the letter guy or are you the vibe it guy? No, I have to follow the instructions to the. Because yeah. I've been talking to Tommy Dean a bit about. You know, Tommy's a. Loves his cooking and baking. Yeah, that's but, right, yeah. But he's. He's like. His approach is he's a, the scientist type approach. Whereas my approach, I'm just I'm I'm a very much a vibe it guy. Oh, okay. Because I grew up. My mum's a great cook, but um, she yeah, pinch of this, pinch of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah she's right. like, oh yeah, I don't know how much of that I put in. You just put a bit in and yeah, you'll work. Yeah, right, <laughs> like right. she's she's a vibe it out sort of and great cook. Well, they're the best cooks. Yeah. My wife, my Chinese wife, she's a very good cook, but she she didn't know what she was doing. But her mother taught her this is how you do, and she she'd have all the spices and it'd be a pinch be pinching everything pinch of that pinch of that and I couldn't do it you know, <laughs> well different size fingers yeah that's right different size fingers but you know you've got to have the yeah the pinch something in the pinch oh, yeah <laughs> mate so. um, that is about all the time we've got we'll do this again though how long are you in Australia I'm here, for mate I'm here for uh, another couple of months I think oh, I brought I'll I should mention my podcast in England. That's what I was going to say. Here we go. Um, that was the next this thing is I was going to say. It's called Babysitting Trevor. The premise is uh, some younger comics, Carl Donnelly and Chris Martin, 
try and get me out of the house, uh, out from underneath my wife's feet. I was going to say foot, she's got two <laughs> legs. And, um, and try to get me motivated. So, and they give me various tasks to do, and I do them, I report on them, and I write a poem. And yeah, it's, um, uh, mate, I've actually been listening to, uh, to mm. a few episodes. I really enjoy it, because it does, having, um, you know, having uh, both gig with you and you and I obviously catch up for lunch when we can, yeah. uh, do yum char over here, um, it encapsulates you yes, to a perfectly. Tea. It does, doesn't it? It really yeah, does. Yeah, to a T. So, uh, so there's a contrast between me. They're quite normal and I'm me, which is mm. abnormal. And they're quite entertained without being um, yeah. condescending in any yeah, way. Like, that's right, that's, that's that. right. It's, it's they, they're enjoying... Um, so I've been listening to it, and I'm pretty objective, and I, I think it's really funny. And I know from the uh, the comments, we get these five-star reviews. We've had 53 five-star reviews from punters, nice. and they think it's hilarious. So, uh, again, it's subjective. You may listen and get not like it, but uh, if you like it, something a bit different, a little bit twisted, I think it's funny. Uh, I think it's great. So, uh, yeah, get on it. It's babysitting Trevor. On iTunes. On iTunes. Um, Leave yeah. a nice comment. And while you're at it, leave a nice comment for this episode. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah, as well, yeah. but um, where's this going to be posted? Uh, this will be this will be up Tuesday. Oh, okay. So okay. this going to edit it down uh, at ten minutes. Or no, no, no. This will be. Uh, I am uh, if nothing, if not lazy when it comes to this. Have you got Trev? Any down- how many downloads have you got? I I don't check. Don't check. Um, deliberately because I it doesn't take a lot for me to justify not doing something that's not getting a lot of attention. Yeah. So I figure if I don't look, I can just pretend there's thousands and thousands of uh, people mm. hanging on the uh, episode. So uh, I try and motivate myself to get them recorded and get them up. I think three ways to be successful at podcasting. One, easiest way is to be a big celebrity. Yep. Two is to get big celebrities on your show. Yep, well, it's the tick that's this me, week. That's me, yeah. And I'm big in Bankstown. Fucking it, but the, um, and then the third one is to have something a bit different, like, uh, let's say, we, there's you, and if you have someone who's a little bit of contrast to you, that makes it interesting, interesting dynamic. So, yeah. Uh, or have a theme, you know, like Baby's Eating Trevor. Yeah. So, anyway, do you want to... We're getting, we're getting paged. Yeah, that's right. At this yeah. stage. It's been nice and quiet the whole time. Yeah, we we right. come to the plugs and some, all of a sudden there's, there's uh, someone getting paged. Or something. Leave the building with your hands up. Oh, well. Yeah. But um, have a listen to Babysitting Trevor. Um, and uh, yeah, mate, we'll do this again. And uh, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we should do lunch in the next week too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, you want to do it here next time? It's all right here, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite nice here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, thanks for being on. Okay, goodbye, people. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. <laughs>